0: up and sit down. Hello strangers and welcome to a belated episode 56 of Strangers in a Cinema with myself, one of your co-hosts Paul Anderson, my co-host Pete Wall and producer Jack. Guys, how are we? Good, man. Not bad at all.
1: Yeah, took a week off. Now we're here with a sort of, I guess you call this a bumper episode. We've got a ton of reviews to get through. We're going to try and do that in like a timely fashion so it doesn't run three hours.
0: Yeah, I think this this uh, format that we've taken so long to, you know, that, that Pete lovingly created and we've, we've nurtured over the past few episodes is basically going to almost go completely Smashed out the window it. this week. Smash the system. So, I'm um, also sitting on a
1: creaky chair, I realise, so that's ideal. Yes,
0: good, good. Mm, I'm looking yeah. forward to this then. Um, I'm all right you aren't Jack yeah, you are so yeah. well you better be man because we oh, need we'll... top
1: end production yes, on yeah. this thing Absolutely. the to, people well. expect a lot we've been away for an entire week <laughs> yeah. an extra week in we fact done.
0: so yes I'll tell you what Pete I'm going to give you this cushion that you can put on that chair that oh, will hopefully make it oh there's, there's already a cushion on there slightly less squeaky we shall see uh, yes right <laughs> got worse <laughs> got worse Well, squeaky chair aside, uh, we are going to do, I think, an In the Foyer uh, brief bit, aren't we, which I'm going to throw out there that I don't think everyone will find as interesting as we do this week, Pete. Have more faith, man. This is fascinating (laughs) business.
1: Yeah, I mean, after the In the Foyer section, as Paul mentioned, instead of doing our our usual, um, well, we've done coming attractions in the past, but we always do popcorn movies, then we do feature reviews and we do the homework that Jack has each week, this week we're doing a sort of loads of reviews um i guess you could say it's an all popcorn episode or you could call it an all feature review episode it depends which way you want to go with that either way um we will cover american Made. we will cover the limehouse golem we've got uh new to netflix little evil with adam scott we've got death note we've got logan lucky we've got patty cakes what have i missed paul terminator 2 terminator 2 of course yeah re um re-enlivened i imagine they thought by a, a 3d presentation at cinemas recently so we'll review that uh, and also jack's going to do his homework and talk about clue I yes which that was is set true.
0: by uh, at mr mark brennan this week friend of the show mark brennan in fact indeed uh, yes yeah, so we'll thank him for that so jack is jack's still going to get to say his piece um, and hope you hopefully break up the monotony of me and you draining on about a million films this week. Yeah, you're, you're really <laughs> pumping us up here. I know. Yeah, sorry. Yeah.
1: The, the first section is not very interesting, <laughs> and we're monotonous. So uh, yeah, welcome. Stick around for the next sort of hour or, or slightly less.
0: Right. Let's get to it then. So in the foyer this week is uh, whilst sitting in Patty Cakes in the cinema, which is a film we're going to talk about later. Um, we were, I think, again, I think it may have been well whether it's. Aspect ratio is the term for it or not. I think Cineworld projected it incorrectly, but that's not really what I want to talk about this week because I've banged on about that a lot. And anyone who's seen me on Twitter will realise I've banged on about that. Get gets uh, the, the point, time. man. What are we yes. talking about? So what we're talking about is actually um, the kind of change in aspect ratios and how films are presented in the cinema screen relating to their next life on the home market. Now, this is something that I noticed and complained wrongly about when I saw Manchester by the Sea. And then when The Big Sick came out, I noticed it again and the thing I noticed about these two films they have black bars down the side of the screen not in a not in a traditional way you'd expect to view uh, a film in the cinema and I think the reason for this Pete is because they're both Amazon films and yeah. therefore they are filmed with the intention of A being shown in the cinema screen but also being put straight onto a TV screen yeah. without having to mess around with the aspect ratio that's my theory. That seems
1: pretty undisputable from, from where I'm sitting. Um, indisputable? Perhaps it's not like my job is teaching English. Um, yeah, I think that this is something that maybe a lot of people haven't picked up on because it's just, you know, the film is shown as it's shown. But there will be people who notice and feel like we're we're getting perhaps um, a sort of compromised cinematic experience because you don't have that cinematic aspect ratio that you've become sort of accustomed to over your your childhood, younger years and even recent years. But instead you're getting a lot of these sort of mid-budget sort of indie films particularly that are going to, I say indie with sort of inverted commas that nobody can see, but like those things that are then going to have this real second life when it comes to Amazon and Netflix or whatever the streaming platform might be. And of course, those companies don't want them to have to uh, adjust that print in order to screen in, a, in their own format, right? Especially when they're putting money into the projects. So, I mean, Jack, have you noticed this, what we're talking about here? No it's like we're talking about sort of i, I want to say 16:9 format because that would make sense right for home presentation i would have thought
0: so yeah yeah yes. well, there'll be there'll be people out there who know probably better than we do and by all means tell us you know by all means to let us know let us know on social media tell us exactly what you know what the aspect ratio is on these things But yeah i just i think it's kind of a shame really and i know it's i know it to some people it would seem picky but i would say to a lot of people who go to the cinema the cinema for me should be and again i've said this before so apologies should be the absolute premium place where you go and see the absolute absolute best presentation of a film it should be better than the home experience it should you know they charge enough for it i mean if we didn't have cine World unlimited cards you're looking at what 10 11 pound to throw to go to see a single film so i think it should be the absolute the best picture possible and if this is the way films are going then i think cinemas per- personally think cinemas need to adapt to start showing these so those for me shortcomings in the picture aren't obvious so a, a, an obvious fix for this would be curtains in years ago Pete do you remember the cinemas had curtains I'm, yeah. I'm sure I remember this isn't yeah it, it was a real this thing this isn't a new new sort of curtains aren't a major technological advance I just think something, something needs to change maybe on the cinema side of it if this is where we're going I don't know where you stand on that Pete would you
1: yeah, I, I've just been checking in the background. The, the, the format in question is in fact 1.85 to 1 rather right. than 16 to 9, but which is very close to the 69 format. Yeah. So I guess it's like the happy middle ground, yeah. although it's not exactly middle because it's quite far away from, like we're saying, that wider presentation. But yeah, I mean, do, yeah, I, I, I think I agree with you, Paul. But then I suppose if you weren't preoccupied with this and if I wasn't too, Do you think it actually takes away from your experience in any sort of tangible way? With the kind of films that, like, of course, there are bigger spectacles that maybe you wouldn't want to see cut down in this way, but something like the film Patty Cakes that we saw, for example, do you think it lost Patty something Cakes, for that? I
0: think the difference with Patty Cakes is that was wrong, That but there's that button on the projector that hadn't been pressed, so the, the film needed to pull out and it fill did. the screen. It
1: did need to pull out, but it was in the right aspect ratio, yeah. right? the, the, the so ratio of, of the uh, the two axes, right? Yeah. the X and Y axes. But
0: for me screen. yes, it does harm the experience, because I'm I'm immediately aware that there's big black areas of the screen where there shouldn't be black areas of the screen and immediate rather than then sitting down to enjoy the film it, it's I mean it's not to the same extent as when we went to the and um, that disastrous unlimited screening of the raid 2 when they no. cut the subtitles off okay that's that's worse than this but still by the fact that that had happened and the fact you notice there's issues with projection which in patty kate's case I'm 99% sure there was not so much in the Amazon films he talks about for that reason but then I'm immediately going oh there's problems with projection so maybe no it didn't ultimately at the, by the end of the film yeah I've let it go But at the beginning of the film, certainly I'm thinking about that rather than the film. For for the first
1: 91 minutes of the film, I haven't (laughs) let it go. (laughs) Last couple of minutes, I I let that thing go. Yeah, I mean, I think to, to cap this thing off, we probably would between me and Paul, we're we're quite keen on this topic. And we probably would compel people listening if you don't do this already. If you think there's something wrong with the project projection, whether it be an incorrect aspect ratio setting, which I think is rarer, or the not pulling the picture out as far as it should yeah. go, or just something that is generally wrong with the presentation of a piece of cinema that's cost you like Paul was well, like saying a lot of money. To, actually, uh, can I can I just finish yeah, the point? The, the point is Tell somebody about that. Yeah. Because if you don't tell somebody about it, you don't have to be rude and you don't have to be difficult. Be polite, but if you don't say anything about it, then you can't then complain that it doesn't change. Y- whatever you do, you're never going to be as on this as Paul is, for example. No.
0: So yeah, you'll be ready. You know, let us, let us know what your cinemas like because Cineworld showed the trailers like squashed into the middle of the screen as well, which I find quite. I don't understand that. that. Why irritating? are we doing that these not, days? That's not giving. You know, I'm sure film distributors would want the trailers to be on the full screen. Piece of Marketing
1: is yeah. baffling. So yeah. I'd be
0: intrigued to see anyone that's not got a Cineworld near them, anyone with a view or a showcase or any of the other ODN will try and get them all in. Um Picture House, there we go. I think that's all of them now. Um yeah, just let I'd be I'd be I would personally be interested to know if they're showing trailers kind of squashed into the middle of the screen because that that frustrates me and i don't really know any reason they would do that apart from maybe to save a little bit of electricity on the projectors yeah it's very odd because
1: some trailers seem so underwhelming and then completely yeah. even watching them at home you get sort of more bang for your non-existent buck at that point because yeah you you maybe crank the sound up and have you know your full screen display so yeah it's a strange one that one but um talking of sort of the way things used to be, Paul, we want to get into a bit of a discussion about this re-presentation of Terminator 2, right? We do,
0: yes. And I think this will probably be less of a discussion on the film, which I think, you know, bona fide is, is very good. I don't think anyone can really argue that Terminator 2 isn't very good. And probably more about the remastering and the 3D side of it. From my perspective, anyway, I think that's what that's what I kind of want to get into a bit I don't know how you feel on that Pete rather than a kind of
1: yeah yeah I suppose for me it's it's going to be slanted towards sort of that plus um, things that I noticed this whatever fifth or sixth time round mm. with the film that maybe I hadn't paid so much attention to before and then yeah really let's start off with what you were mentioning Paul how did the transfer and the 3D experience work for you did it work because is the first time you've seen it on a big screen right yes. a, a cinema yeah. sized big yeah. screen so at first impressions, and as the film you know got going, did you feel like it had been Im- improved? What were the the improvements made, or do you think that there was not a discernible difference between this and the home release?
0: The three I mean the the actual the, the recent home re- the, well, the most recent home release wasn't too bad, although it, there was room for improvement. I think initially, when it comes on the screen, it will let, we'll deal with. I'll deal with the 4K transfer before I get to the 3D, the 4K remaster. I think the 4K remaster looked fantastic. Mm. I think they've done a really good job of clean, really good job of clearing up the image. I'm very excited for the 4K disc to arrive and then to be able to spend, watch it again without the 3D, which may lead on to what I'm about to say. But um, I also think that what they did that was very interesting with this as well is they went back and cleaned up some of the obvious to, obvious to me mistakes with the film as a whole, that have been there since the film first came out in 1991. So, the chase scene, the early chase scene towards the beginning, where um, the T1000 is chasing Arnold Schwarzenegger on the motorbike, as as Schwarzenegger drops off onto the like the spillway. Um, to me, at least, and I think to a number of people, it's pretty bloody obvious it's not him. Um, it looks it looks nothing like Arnie. That's fixed now, which mm-hmm. I thought was great. And I think when they you know, as much as as much as you don't, as much as there's a fine line between doing what they've done here and doing what Lucas has done with the Star Wars special editions, which is go back in and add things that aren't needed. If filmmakers are quite happy to to clear up mistakes that they've recognised, then I think that's great. And I think, for the most part, I think the the four K transfer and the little remedial bits of work James Cameron have done to it worked really, really well. The one bit I didn't see the point of though
2: hmm.
0: was the three D. What did you think of the 3D page stuff?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you, man. I I think that I understand the decision because I think that to some people it would have been something of a hook. Maybe not as many people as, as James Cameron might imagine. But um, I think there are people who would think, why would I you know, drag myself out to the cinema to see a film I've seen so many times. Mm, That's an interesting point. And one reason for that might be, oh, this is going to bring it, you know, something new, something I haven't seen. Maybe I've always... There are bigger advocates, I think, than us of 3D movies in general. And maybe there are people who think that's really going to add something to the experience. I side with you, though, on this that I don't necessarily think that it did. And I think actually a lot of the 3D felt um, a bit superfluous and a bit like if we took it away my experience actually paul i've got to be honest i think my experience would be improved because of the fact and i think you were doing this too we talked about it afterwards but if you drop your glasses down when you're in the screening and you look at the light loss that you're getting through those 3d glasses you pine for a brighter you know sort of technicolor version of this film that would have just been the 4k transfer without 3d and
0: also i think that there are there were certainly bits when i took my glasses off and there was no i'm and correct me if i'm wrong Listeners, there was no 3D in certain bits. Like I I took my glass off about five or six times because someone had told me they'd read somewhere, blah 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 blah, uh, that actually it doesn't appear that it's all in 3D. And I didn't think. And I think the small bits, the one bit that I remember being in in noticeable 3D to me. And don't get me wrong, I'm not a fan of 3D, so I may be the wrong person to be saying this. Was like John Connor smoking a cigarette. Mm. That's the one thing that kind of. That's the one thing that, no pun intended, stuck out for me. I suppose the future war bit was was kind of okay but i found the 3d again a bit blurry in places yeah like it is with most posts it, it can versions. be a bit
1: problematic as well with i think particular elements like obviously the the first sequence in the film with with arnie coming there's no spoiler here yeah with arnie coming to uh, earth is uh in an area surrounded by like chain link fences and they're just not- just look notoriously shit when you put them into, <laughs> into sort of post-process 3d so that kind of stuff didn't necessarily help i mean Weirdly, it's a film that it's easy to forget doesn't actually have that many effect shots. I think there are 24 or mm. less in the in the film, something surprisingly low number. Um and I think for all of our chatter about the the 3D element, it was really quite um gratifying to see how well those effect shots hold up given that this film came out originally in 1991. I mean, do yeah. you do you feel the same way you were saying the stuff about the uh the stunt double improvements and, and that kind of post that they've done, but just those original effect shots? James Cameron could have done a lot more here. He could have changed effect shots. He could have. This
0: is what I mean. This is yeah. why I'm glad he didn't. And I think this is, you know, 3D aside. I think this is. If you're looking to rework older films, George Lucas, take note. Mm-hmm. Um, this is how you should do it. Yeah. I think the, the changes they made were worthwhile. A little bit disappointed we didn't get to see the Directors' cut because there's certain scenes in that that I quite like. That the bit where they really changes like the change into a learning computer, although it is mentioned. So that's my only slight slight niggle. I think, but. Um, and I suppose we should close out by sort of saying the, the brief thoughts about the film. I mean, coming back. Well, to No, the this film. is what I mean. This is what I was going to get around to. Is yeah, the film's still fucking awesome. Let's let's be frank. Um, it's a great sci-fi action film, and you know the um, the yeah, the, it's the story's there. The it's just great. I think it's 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 a very very well structured sci-fi action film. With
1: with, with the risk of sort of getting in a little bit of trouble, I I, I sort of hesitate to say this. I I found that going back to Terminator 2 again and maybe it is just a bit of fatigue of having seen it a number of times although not for a few years I found sequences of it less considerably sort of less thrilling than when but then you know coming to the film first as a sort of teenage boy I guess that's understandable but there are parts that I felt um just didn't have the same zip that I remembered them No I know what you mean
0: and I think because I when when uh we did uh there was an alien an aliens double bill it was would have been a couple of years ago now and i hadn't seen aliens on the big screen before and i came out of aliens like properly pumped i was like oh my god that was amazing and i didn't come out of terminator 2 with quite the same feeling i'm attributing that to the 3d mm. uh because it's a film that i love and it's a film that normally every time i watch i'm like oh my god that's amazing i still don't think it's as good as the first one
1: yeah but, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, i I'm, I think I'm basically with you, man. Like I also, who needed reminding? Linda Hamilton, fine. Linda Hamilton <laughs> running around in a vest. I mean, let's not let's not skip over these details. Does she, is
0: she, does she make the best of the vest list for you? Think?
1: She would because be a contender. She'd be top <laughs> ten best of the vest, which we will eventually do. Uh, I promise. Um, on the other hand, Edward Furlong um, is not great in this film. He is not great. He, he, he's you not rating. No, know, I, I think don't.
0: He's, I think he's got. A, I think he's quite charming in this. But. You know, they,
1: they um—I don't know what you call that process now, but they sort of overdubbed a lot of his uh, delivery in the film I because his, his voice broke during production, so it caused <laughs> a big problem. So when he's sort of high pitched and squealy, it's actually been put in afterwards. But yeah, I mean, great. Like we were saying before, we saw the the film itself great to see something like this back you know yep. whether you're a huge terminate ahead or not just great that we've got um close encounters coming up not yep. far from now
0: predator apparently we'll keep see. it coming really keep so it coming because it,
1: it provides this variety and it reminds people of sort of forerunners of the action films that we see today and yes, not only action absolutely. films of course
0: but in this case you know yes right well we'll be back after this with some more reviews
1: And welcome back so we are going to get into a review first of all of American made the new Tom Cruise vehicle from crazy man director Doug Lyman <laughs> um, this is a follow-up to the wall which I haven't seen but obviously um, the thing that sticks in the mind from from not too long ago is uh, Edge of Tomorrow which was fantastic and which was a pairing of the star and this director in this film uh, Tom Cruise plays a guy called Barry <laughs> Which must be a first. That's, that's
0: never crossed my mind. i watched throughout through the whole film. Never crossed my mind that Tom Cruise was called Barry.
1: Yeah, it has nothing to do with the Jennifer Lopez vehicle made in Manhattan. Uh, this one is the true story of pilot Barry Seal, who's uh, transported contraband for the CIA and the Medellin cartel in the 1980s. Um, it follows a, a kind of fairly familiar tale of a man sort of getting sucked in to, um, you know, or getting in over his head, I should say, with people with a lot more sort of power and um, and wealth than he originally has. Here's a clip. Coffee, Mr. Seal? You know my name?
2: Very Gringo, who flies to Central America every week, taking pictures very low with your fancy plane.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, those photos, see, I have a... Uh... Aviation company here yes. in South America. Is the I I-C, yes, sir. Or is it CIA? What?
2: <laughs> no. no, 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 I'm just a businessman here. I'm a businessman.
0: Imports, exports, cattle, but now, Now God above has blessed this great country with new riches. So that gives you a little bit of a a taster of of what the film's about. Um, Tom Cruise in fairly, I'd say, familiar territory here, Pete, and in the kind of role that he's playing, uh, kind of brash, larger than life character that he does quite well, I think, to be honest, in this. Where do you stand?
1: Um, Yeah, I'm inclined to say something like, do you feel the need, the need for cocaine? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, well, I guess we'll get into it in more detail. But yes, um, the sort of swagger that you expect from from Tom Cruise is is present and correct. And I think early on that works to the film's advantage and maybe later on a little bit to its disadvantage. Um, and it's this sort of long, spun-out, rise-and-fall story that spans, I think, about a decade of the guy's life, yeah. maybe more. Um, and the way in which his involvement with this deadly cartel um, sort of impacts, to some extent, we we learn how this impacts on his family but mostly how it impacts on him and his own sort of meteoric rise and then and then sort of difficulty i mean we hammered the mummy recently with uh, with mr cruz yes. on board this was better than that i think we can step off um this was considerably better
0: from that than mummy point. yes yes um i it's a, it's a, it is a, I say it's a funny film um it is quite a funny film in places um i don't know there was For me, there was just a sense of familiarity about this, that I've seen it all somewhere before, but Mm. I can't, I've been even, it's now even in the couple of weeks since we've seen it, I still can't quite place where I've seen it all before. Maybe it's because of Narcos on Netflix, maybe it's because of the, maybe it's because it's set set around the same time as that kind of thing, there seems to be a lot of stuff around the, the Medellin cartel yeah and, and it, stuff. it throws your mind
1: back to things like blow and traffic yeah, and like there was yeah. a time in the sort of turn like early 2000s late 90s where these kind of um yeah long spun out drug story cartel related things were all the rage um i mean the film is is i suppose uh, morally neutral i i guess but i mean there's something about this that feels like i don't know um a bit like the Wolf of Wall Street, yep. right? Where we get taken in by this really charismatic guy, and he's got a scheme, and he just wants to carry a scheme, and you sort of root for him because you think like the little guy is doing this big scheme, and and he's applying himself a bit like Walter White to something that he maybe isn't cut out for initially, mm. but he's going to use the skills that he's developed in his life in this case as a skilled pilot. Uh, Tom Cruise likes planes, you guys. Did you realise this? He's got a pilot's licence and he spent this whole film having a great time taking off and landing his, his planes. Um, but then I think it, that's where it got all a bit muddy for me because there's not much in the way of kickback against this sort of freewheeling life. And although we are supposed to believe that the cartel is particularly sinister and threatening and dangerous, Doug Lyman makes the choice not to really show the dark... Underbelly of no, all of I, this world.
0: No, and I think I, I, I see where you're coming from. And as you say, that it's, there does seem to be um, there does seem to be a a trend in films these days to do this, where almost the guy, you know, they kind of get away with it scot free. What you know, I think, although he, although he doesn't, but I, I know where you're coming from. Like, you, I kind of think that you need to. not it doesn't actually come down hard enough on Tom Cruise's character as to go. Actually, like this guy is actually like in real life, this guy would be an arsehole for doing what he's doing. And it, the film never really explores that, I don't think. And and, it, and you're, you're right, and it doesn't really make he, the cartel that threatening. Right, either. and
1: even the, the, the turns that we have in the relationship with his his wife um, are, at first, you know, seem to, to resonate somewhat with the way that you'd get kicked back off someone when you keep saying you're yeah. about to leave again and again and again and again. But then, as the film goes on, this is left behind, or it's sort of like a side issue, where... It's all just gonna work out fine in the end, and I mean, you know, the the story is what the story is. But I don't feel like this thing has necessarily gone in with the intention of creating like a balanced view of what it might like to run, what it might be like to run drugs and guns from between South America, Central America, and the U.S. I mean, instead, it's like a bit of a you know boys' own story about about how great Tom Cruise is at just getting yeah, shit done. And, and really.
0: to be fair, if, if you take it as that. It works quite well, I think. I didn't come out of it. Go, I didn't come out of it blown away by the film by any stretch, but I didn't come out of it hating it either. If you, if you see where I'm coming from, I, th- I came out of it. Was like well, that was fun, um, and I think the other thing that we'll add is Doug Liman somehow I think anyway knows how to get the best out of Tom Cruise and can for the most part rein him in comparatively to a lot of other films he's been in. I thought I do I do think that with this of tomorrow is a, it, I think they are. a I think they're a good, a good combination of a director and actor team working together. but um, Apparently, yeah. by the
1: way, just to drop in on the Doug, Doug Lyman tip, uh, live, die, repeat and repeat is, uh, is a thing. There's going to be a, a sequel to Edge of Tomorrow.
0: Seems Which I'm like. quite excited about. Yeah, so yeah.
1: that would be interesting to see. I mean I think you're right, Paul. They they work well together uh, they work well together as a team. Some of the production here I thought was beautiful actually. Mm. Some of the editing in this film is wonderful. The way that Doug Lyman is able to um, coalesce with Tom Cruise in displaying, for example, plane takeoffs and landings and jet engines and that kind of thing was was really quite striking particularly because i think we both saw this on, on an imax mm. screen so yeah if you're going to go watch it i would recommend that although it's going to cost you like an arm and a leg yeah to do and there's
0: it, you know it's, it's sort of it feels like a cop-out saying so there's much worse there's a much worse film you are go and see at the cinema but there is it's it was it was decent uh, and i liked it enough shall we say yeah i think that's fair So next up, we've got the Limehouse Golem. Is it Golem, Pete? Is, is, I want to say English, Golem from an English perspective, but but all the trailer would all yeah, the trailers all the, suggest
1: it is Golem, and the interviews I've heard around it Golem. So we're yeah, gonna go with I think golem. we're going to
0: go with Golem. Thank you, Pete, because I wasn't sure when I when I watched the film this morning whether it was Golem or Golem. So thank you. So we're going with the Limehouse Golem, which is directed by one Carlos Medina. Um, this is a I would say mostly certainly by the looks of it a mostly British um, production. Um, set in and around I'm going to take a punt at Victorian London from the look of the yeah, trailer. Yeah, it's, it's Victorian London. Yeah, yeah I, thought, I thought it might be. Um, and basically focused on Bill Nighy um, comes in as the police inspector investigating um Two murders, in fact, um, one of which is a serial killer and the other one of which is a woman convicting well, potentially convicted of murder and a husband, played by relative newcomer Olivia Cook, who I think has mainly been famous for the Bates Motel series so far, but it is going to be in Ready Player One next year, so I think she's gonna be Massively famous in the URSS's time. Um, and basically, it's kind of the, the investigation into this serial killer uh, known as the Limehouse Golem. Here's a clip. A woman accused of poisoning her husband, but not just any woman. Little Lizzie, darling of the music halls,
1: But the city was enthralled. The fearsome Limehouse Golem. Who was he? Who would be his next victim? So I haven't actually had the chance to catch up with the Limehouse Golem, Paul, but you have. So take this one on, um, lead us forward into a review of this and what, why we should be interested. I mean, Bill Nighy's in it, that piqued my interest, but I wasn't compelled to go see it. Have I missed out?
0: Yes, do you know what you have? And I wasn't compelled to go and see it either. Um, and then I started, you know, it's you, you start to read uh, read a few reviews and thought actually this this sounds quite intriguing. Um, and actually, is that how your thought went? That is exactly, this sounds um, quite intriguing. Yeah, so that's exactly what the voice in my head and I was like, I will go and see this intriguing film at once. Um, so go and see it. I did, um, and I actually I had a, a good time with it. I think um, it's it feels very old um, in a a good way if that makes sense I think that it's got a very kind of individual feel about it that I haven't seen in a film for the past few years it's it's very very sort of melodramatic and overblown in places um, which certainly won't be to everyone's taste but I, I quite enjoyed that aspect of it and the kind of it's got this kind of old fashioned like real like sense of a who done it about it like everyone's got a motivation to be the killer basically mm. and like the way it's the way it's kind of framed the, the thing that it reminded me of the most was a, a, and I doubt you've seen this uh Mario Bava film called a Bay of Blood No I know of it I haven't seen it um which kind of where everyone every, every, in a Bay of Blood everyone turns up to this like leisure camp and then like everyone is it appears there might be one killer and then there's there more than one killer and everyone's Everyone's got an agenda against everyone else, and it doesn't go the same way with the story. Bit, but it's a, like <laughs> a bit like Jonathan Creek, a bit like Jonathan Creek. Yeah, very similar to Jonathan Creek, actually. Yeah, Um yeah. You've you've put me way off there now, but thank you. Yeah, so it's kind of like everyone. Everyone seems to have an agenda against everyone else, and not everything is what it seems. And I think it does. It breeds a very good sense of a good sense of mystery throughout. Um Bill Nighy is. I I love Bill Nighy. He, I think he's awesome. He, I don't always love the films that he's in. I will be 100 percent honest. They're not always to to my taste but I think he's great um it's quite nice to see him play a I would say a more measured serious role than I've seen him in certainly recently anyway um Olivia Cook I think is fantastic in this and I just as I said earlier I think she will be she's going to be a huge star um and I think this is this is certainly a good calling card for her to get for her to get further work um yeah I would say you know again probably don't read anything about it because it would be—it's a film that would be quite easy to spoil if you do too much reading into it. So don't do that. I would say I think the trailer certainly sells it short. Um, it won't be to everyone's taste. If you—if again, if you like Bay of Blood or that kind of thing, then I would say seek it out. That's funny. I've tried to be concise. If there, you're any of that yeah. massive
1: audience on
0: on this show that yeah. likes already likes Pay of Blood, <laughs> yeah, yeah. get involved.
1: Or yeah. Bill Nighy in his sort of bumbling yeah. English ways.
0: Yeah, it's very it's a very different feeling film to everything else that's out at the moment. So on that basis, it, it's uh, it's worth a watch. I haven't said that for a while. Glad <laughs> <laughs> it's back. Uh, right, for my part, I'm trying to make up for not having seen that film
1: by offering up this little review of Little evil um, this is brand new netflix original film that started streaming i think two days ago possibly um so i caught up with it straight away because of my boy adam scott uh, adam scott is someone who i've uh, followed since i don't even know party down and and obviously Parks he's and like Black, a guy yeah and i would recommend before i get into saying why this is not a good film uh he's <laughs> he's in a film called um oh i want to say the bitter kind I'll, I'll check it. But he's in a film where he plays a straight role, which is definitely worth looking up. However, Little Evil, best avoided. The best way I could sort of encapsulate the problem with this film, it's, it's essentially um, a, a parody, pastiche film that, um, ironically makes uh, sort of sideways glances towards poltergeist and towards particularly the omen it deals with adam scott's character is the stepfather who moves in with evangeline Lilly's character and her little son and tries to bond with him although people have the suspicion that the boy might be evil incarnate so far i'm in i'm in yeah i mean i've seen the trailer i thought it looked quite funny. The director, who's the, who's the team behind yeah, this beat? Yeah, uh, man, add to that the fact the director is a, a guy called Eli Craig, who people know from Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, which, if you haven't seen it, is just fantastic yeah. like, mash-up of horror and comedy and, like, very... Um, horror film history, literate filmmaking, but like not in a self-serious way. This is what I was hoping from, from Little Evil. But the thing is like, just limp. Like we, we literally get scenes of like the kid putting his hands against the uh, static on the TV screen and it's like, oh, okay, that's poltergeist. And then he's got the same haircut as Damien in the oven. Is it funny or is it just... It's passingly funny in places, but for a thing involving Adam Scott, I expect a lot more. Evangeline Lilly, I think, is trying her best to be in a committed like play a comedic character i think she sort of flounders at times i i like her I- enough but her character di- didn't really work for me and then you've got like that's a few people in the background chris daly the stand-up com- comedians in this doesn't get much to do um yeah very very disappointing in the end and there's so much fertile ground to play with here, particularly from a director who clearly like knows his well, and, onions, and has you know?
0: has done so already. Yeah, you a know? proven and, track record yeah, it's it, in this field. It's such, such a successful send up of the genre. Like, it makes no sense. This would be bad, to be honest. So,
1: but yeah, it, it it's the kind of film that you, I I don't know if you're anything like me. You just begin to sort of sigh about two thirds the way in, and you just. You should never feel that in this kind of throw around material, you know, particularly as someone myself. I, you know, I love The Omen, I love Poltergeist, and I love stupid comedies. Mm. And I really like Adam Scott and I like the director. So all the elements were in place. It just didn't work for me. Check it out, though, yourself. It's available to stream on Netflix. Let us know what you think about Little Evil. We'll be back shortly with more reviews, starting with a homework review from one Jack Mills.
2: So yeah, it's time for me to talk now. Thank you, boys. What? No. Um, some really thorough reviews, I think, so far. It's been good. Um, Are you reviewing
0: us? Is that, what you're, is that what your little bit is now? <laughs> so i to review the podcast you, as it goes
2: on, as I listen.
1: Producer Jack's got the, got the fancier chair today, and it's really getting to him. Like, his whole demeanour <laughs> is like the kingpin here. He's going to bring things down into the cinema room and tell you about, tell you about the serious issue of... of you said, Paul, this was set by Mark Brennan, is that it correct? was, yes, yes. Mark Brennan, we should drop in a plug at this point for the fact that Mark Brennan is one of the people involved in putting on Exit Six Film Festival that is coming up very, very soon in Basingstoke, UK, and we will both be attending. The UK, we will sure. all be attending. Well, we will like, all be attending the whole Jack, Jack Will this
0: would this be your first film festival? It will be my first to? film festival. How you're, exciting. Yeah, very exciting. You're, you're in a
1: really interesting position here as well, man, because depending on what you say about this film it may be beloved to mark brennan it may be going to lead you into a great or terrible future relationship with that with that man so let's see what you've got how was clue uh
2: so clue for me um obviously it's based on a board game called Cluedo if you're english and clue if you're American. well you did say
0: to me and i don't know why they didn't call it Cluedo. yeah and i'm like well it's called clue in america so yeah i found that (laughs) out
2: earlier um so I was a little pessimistic because obviously it's based on a board game which is for me slightly strange but you've obviously got Jumanji which was a really good well actually it's not based on a board game we're talking about now Jack? That. Yeah, what, are you ch- so, what are you chatting <laughs> now <laughs> <laughs> um, we're not going to let you speak again if this is your actual but I think
0: <laughs> always shoehorning
1: Jumanji into yeah, the, the yeah. reviews I so. love Jumanji it's a great <laughs> film
2: um, also I was a little bit Worried because it's a little bit before my time, so the release date for it was 1985, which was a few years before I was born. Yeah, he's making as jokes the, about his the, own age as now. As the boys obviously <laughs> tell me every time, um, the film was strong, uh, and there were some really funny moments in it, which I enjoyed personally, um, and it was just it worked. I have as a question. A game.
1: Yeah, I have a question. I have not seen this film. Clue. Um, okay. Apologies to Mr. Brennan for being so far behind the curve. But, now, my question is, you said this is adapted in the board game, right? Does it transfer? Because, yeah, you mentioned Jumanji. I mean, Jumanji is not sitting.
2: here. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
1: does this manage to, like, how does it weave, weave like a, a plot? How does it work, yeah. So
2: it definitely fits in. You see um, all these murderers, like, murders happening, and then the characters are trying to figure out who did the murders, as you would do in the board game where you'd be given a character and then you might have some clues towards yourself as the murderer or someone else um, it's got some really classic actors in like Tim Curry um, Christopher Lloyd who was obviously in Back to the Future um, and then Eileen Brennan and Madeline Kahn who I know, I are know sadly with us uh, not with us anymore uh, so.
1: Eileen Brennan though not, not a relation I don't believe so No, we'll
0: have to ask him next time we see him but I don't think so so I mean it's it sounds like it sounds like if it worked it's a bit of silly fun. Yeah, was well, it's it definitely was it, yeah. would you would um, you recommend it, Jack? I would sure.
2: absolutely recommend this. Um and it did work on the concept of the big screen, um classic murder mystery scenario, which I do enjoy. Yeah, a bit
1: of a link to the Limehouse Golem, I guess, yeah. in, in the fact that you're <laughs> reviewing Clue today and you've talked about yeah. how everyone could be, you know, in with yes. the we'll candlestick can in the lobby yeah. or whatever.
2: But I think it did have that sort of awkward 80s twist to it um, for me, which is very unique decade of films, um, obviously because I wasn't born yet, but when I watch <laughs> 80s films, I find them very sort of awkward and weird. and um, yeah.
1: So You're probably not the only one, man, because no. uh, the Metascore currently sits at 36%.
2: Oh, wow. Oh. Um, so, yeah, thank you for this week's homework. It was a really good film, and I recommend it to anyone and our listeners out there.
0: Good good. Well, I'm sure Mark will be very pleased to hear that. Um, right, what have we got next then? What have we got next? Because I've momentarily completely forgotten, Pete. Help me uh, out. We, we
1: <laughs> need to get to, Paul, uh, the, the absolutely vital uh, Adam Wingard reinterpretation of Death Note, which has found its way onto Netflix quite recently. Um, amidst a bit of uh, fanfare, I, I would say, given that Adam Wingard has just done what controversially Paul and I believed was a really good job with the Blair Witch reboot I don't think we're in the majority on that
0: I know I it's well reviewed in other places oh I've seen well. it hammered yeah, yeah it's it
1: Mc- divided yeah. people I think um but then also you know films like The Guest and, and Your Next which um, showed that a filmmaker who is barely over 35 has got so much talent and so much going for him that to see him working on this Death Note um, adaptation, I think for a lot of people was quite exciting. For me, it was quite exciting, and I've never read any of the source material. I don't care about it. Have you?
0: No. Okay. Uh, I've never read any of the source material either. Um, I wasn't. It's so unlike you. Concerned. I just assumed you'd read all the no, all no, the I manga. Have, or something. No, I haven't actually. I haven't. I'm intrigued too. I think that you it's, know, it's um, it's quite something. Have you, have read, you it? read it? it Jack? Is,
2: yeah,
1: incredible. so I'm, so you, but you've seen this as well, right? Yeah. The, okay. So you, we can all get involved here, and Jack's coming from the point of view of actually having read the the source Because stuff. I
0: think this is, you know, and I think just to start with, like it's Adam Wingard. It, it should have been better than this. Let's just get that out there. <laughs> like, yeah. Straight sh- away. Shall I
1: set up right. just ba-
0: basically yeah. what Death yeah. Note is for the uninitiated? Well, maybe no. Jack, Jack, Jack can do it. Jack's read it. Where do you help? You comfortable doing it or?
2: Uh, yeah, I would say so. Well, Death Note is based on a god of death, basically, um, and this notebook is given to uh light um he's got actually a different name in the this version okay um, because they've made it into american um and so yeah and he writes names that he feels need to be killed in certain ways obviously that was very odd ob- in the film i think well he, and this he, one, he, he comes across that. this
1: this Death Note. Um, I'll get to the naming of that later on. Uh, he comes
0: across his Death Note. If you are unhappy about this. yes, uh, <laughs> yes,
1: it's just one element of why this doesn't work. But uh, he comes across the the notebook, and then he meets this character Ryuk, right, played uh, by the voice of Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe, I think. Willem. Which
2: I actually enjoyed because I love, I do love his voice. Mm. and I love his acting. So for me, that was a key point in this film. But. It didn't it didn't work and I didn't expect him to actually look like that. I don't think they made him look like the mangas. So But then I suppose this is an interesting issue, isn't it? Because
1: we talk about this kind of thing a lot, right? Although it doesn't look like the manga, is it bad in its own right? Yes. Like if you can try and expunge from yourself the memories of, of the experiences you have with the source material, does it then hold up or it doesn't
2: hold up anyway? No, it doesn't hold up at all
0: and no, I think it, because there's no Asian characters in it, I don't. It, it, it makes no sense. Before we get to that, I think the, the biggest problem with this is, I, do you remember we were talking, oh, you will remember when I was talking about the Dark Tower in yeah. the last episode and Mike, my, my problem with the Dark Tower was is that even for someone who's read the source material there was a lack of context there and I said I feel sorry for anyone who hasn't read the Dark Tower books since going into the Dark Tower now, I've not read any of Death Note, and then I walked into this, and it's exactly the same problem the Dark Tower had. I didn't have a clue what was going on. Immediately, this character's there. He finds the note within about 20 seconds. Of, it feels like 20 seconds of the film starting. Then you've got this like Master of Detectives character who appears out of nowhere, who I have no idea who he is. And I was just lost. I mean, there's a couple of entertaining set pieces. William Defoe's quite the fun. But for the most part, I was lost. There was no context. Whatsoever. There's no consideration for anyone who hasn't read the source material, I I I don't think. I
1: guess it was this sort of high concept idea that, as Jack explained, you know, you write the name in a notebook, that person dies. And we're just supposed to buy into that from the start of the the film and go along with it and sort of see how that plays out. But I think centrally problematic for me is that, like, this thing turned very quickly into this sort of, like, mushy, vague teen romance Mm. where these huge decisions about people living or dying around the, the world are in the hands of some sort of sulky emos who just, like, on a whim will make these decisions. And that sort of reminded me of one of the problems I had with the uh, Anne Hathaway film, Colossal, that we reviewed not that long ago, where you've got, like, all this death and destruction in Asia just because, you know, some grumpy sort of alcoholic is is having some personal difficulties. I think that stuff is a bit hard to swallow and just sort of go along for the ride. Like, Mm. to me, I I didn't like either of these people and I thought they were kind of spoiled little fucks and they needed to, like, you know, just... Just behave like nice people nicer people.
0: and yeah. how do they compare to the characters in the source material? Like is this justified
1: in the source material that there is some grand, because I think early on in this they make this, uh, this suggestion that it's about uh, righting the wrongs of the world right, and like yeah. killing only people yeah. who, who uh, have a done the bad negative impact on society, but that is thrown away after a little while, but in, in the manga is this more of a like crusade that can be sort of morally justified do you think?
0: Yeah
2: I do think so.
0: Does it have more context on the film? That's key for yeah, me anyway Yeah
2: absolutely but I think because obviously they've it's made, been made into an American version of it um, they just, I, the two characters don't work um, and obviously they changed the character's name as well and all that sort of thing um, but yeah I think it's it's it, you, you should watch it if you have read the death note and if you haven't i think you know you can take your own things from this film no i completely disagree no. with the second of those assumptions if you haven't don't bother i, I think you should <laughs> right. i think you should avoid it and i think you should
1: avoid it because i, I was going to mention before i'm going to shoot, shoot on it in now for a start okay the book itself is mm. called the death note someone is going to join me in, in agreeing with this point right the book itself is called the death note the reason for this is because in japan a notebook can be called a note right yeah. everyone realises that this is the case but in the film I didn't know this we, but okay, we've just, that makes sense we've just stuck that as the title and I had someone kick back on social media and say like well the notes that are written their note no the name of the book is the death note and the reason I make such a big point of such a, a minor pernickety thing is is because co-opting Japanese culture and just sticking American actors into it and taking all of the mythology and supplanting that into a place in Chicago, wherever the hell so this is. So the direct is.
0: translation then should be the death book, is what you're saying? It,
1: it, no, it should be Death Notebook.
0: Right, Death Notebook, okay. Yeah. That would make yeah. sense, but it would be a,
1: a shit title. They yeah. probably had to come up with a <laughs> different but, one. But I'm saying that's not a, a big issue in and of itself, but it speaks to the problem with this. If you're going to adapt the material, adapt it to the culture with, within which it's going to be represented. Yeah. Because so much of Japanese, whether it's manga or, or sort of movie history, is rooted in Japanese fears, Japanese society, yeah. well, Japanese it's the same people. With,
0: it's the same with any, anything, really. Any filmmaker. Made in any country is root, generally rooted in that culture like, so.
1: but the, the film is so disinterested in actually engaging with the state of play in the United States at the moment to any like interesting degree that to me it seems like this kind of throwaway irresponsible sort of guyliner yeah I don't, I don't know I, I feel sad about the fact that Adam Wingard's name is attached to something so very like
0: flimsy I I I would I'm going to steal your word completely. I co-sign on that. I just thought it was hugely disappointed by it from a talented director. I'm not sure what he was thinking when he's got on board with this. To be honest, I don't I don't really grasp what what they hope to achieve by this. It's it was just it was nothingy. It was it was nothingy and with you know. And although I haven't read the original the source material, it's gen, it's it's loved like really really loved. So it seems a shame for them to treat such treasured source material with this level of kind of just throw away disdain I think to be honest it feels like a bit. Can we
1: just speak for a second about the fact that are you feeling like me just a little bit disappointed about Netflix original films as as far as the quality control goes because I've reviewed this week Little Evil which is very poor uh, Death Note, which I watched yeah, maybe a week ago, is also very poor. War Machine that we watched recently, very poor. There are, I would say the majority of the films that have been presented as Netflix originals, now Okja is a big standout and in a different category, but I would say the, the majority of those bits of, of output from Netflix have been lacking
0: for me. I would say, yeah, I think I, I liked War Machine more than you did, but still, comparatively to, say, Okja or... I don't want, I or the don't. discovery
1: I didn't like. I mean, yeah, I know we slightly disagreed great. about that, but yeah, I just think that there's something a bit tepid about about a lot of the stuff. I mean, Beast of No Nation was like a sort of forerunner for this thing, and that was really good. Yeah. I, I yeah, I hope we get some more quality. And there's so. the
0: really long time running, and Leontsky, and I've completely forgotten. Uh, I don't feel no. at home in this world anymore. That's that that is it. really, that really yeah, good. I'd so yeah, I'd stick that in the yeah, I'd say there's been there's probably been more tepid, average films, than there has been good ones. Which is a bit disappointing, to be honest. But we, you know, we should say no. Every, not everything's a hit. And
1: and I suppose that's why I say you know um don't wa- <laughs> to go against Jack's point. I suppose, but to, like, don't just watch it because it's there. We get this on the front page of Netflix because they're gonna you know put all yeah. this marketing into it. If everybody watches the film, then we're gonna get more tepid films like this because you voted with your clicks. So yeah, I would be a bit wary of of watching something that's been so badly reviewed across the board. I think.
0: Yeah, me, me too. Right. Time for a little break. When we're back, we will have the final two reviews of the show, which is Logan Lucky and Patty Cakes. So
1: next up, we have our review of retired filmmaker Steven Soderbergh's uh, return to filmmaking. Can you believe it? It's as, if, <laughs> yeah. it's as if it seemed quite implausible that it was actually ever Everyone, gone.
0: Everyone's coming out of retirement these days, aren't they? So.
1: Yeah, I don't know why he even announced that. To be yeah. honest, it was so transparent at the time. But anyway, Steven Soderbergh is back with Logan Lucky, a heist film set around a speedway track, uh, centering on the two main characters played by Adam Driver and Channing Tatum, a pair of brothers, the Logan brothers who want to pull off a heist of uh, the cash that's deposited below the raceway. In working towards this goal, they recruit a character called Joe Bang, played by Daniel Craig with peroxided out blonde hair. Uh, he is the explosives ex- expert who's going to provide like the missing um, element to their, to their heist. Here's a clip. Now, as you very well know, Speedway's got a big problem on his hands right now. 40 year old pipe burst, since the whole thing's built on landfills, turning to mush, which causing all these sinkholes. Sink That's right, the sinkholes in the infield. Now, they wanted to fix this thing up, right? So, what'd they do? What'd they do? They called a bunch of us and just worked on their mines, because we know the work. Man, well, you do good work. We do good work. But you were just fired. So, yeah, the clip there, as ever, gives you some sense of, of the territory. Set in North Carolina, we've got very much um, cast of characters that are uh, sort of bizarre to ridiculous. Right, like Coen Brothers-esque. To, well, yeah, a bit of that feel about it. The, the screenplay, we should say, is written by a writer who is called Rebecca Blunt, let's say. Um, I think she might also go by Steven Soderbergh, but uh, (laughs) I I don't know if you're aware of this, uh, people listening or people gathered here, but um, Rebecca Blunt, it seems, has no credits, and there's a strong suspicion that it is actually just a pseudonym of the director himself. Um, I would buy into that theory, let's put it that way, given the dialogue here is so so, Soderberghian, (laughs) if such a thing might exist. I like that, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so, I mean, Paul, where do we go in on this? It kind of... uh, I would say sort of slightly minor Steven Soderbergh, but then I'm kind of of the feeling that quite a lot of Steven Soderbergh is a little bit minor. Uh, however, kind of a lot of fun. Yeah, it's,
0: it's fun enough. I think I I don't really understand why he would come out of retirement and then he wasn't in own, retirement. I know, I know, I know he but went but away okay. for like three years. Okay, or but something. let's let's just say that he is because he said he was, and let's let's work on that. So let's say he came. I don't know why he'd come out of retirement and then. Only make this. It's not to say I hated it because I didn't. It just, I think the performances are great. I think Channing Tatum is turned into a great comedic actor, or not turning into is a great comedic actor. I think he's very funny. I've got a lot of time. He's for a very likable guy as very well. Very likable guy. Yeah, Adam Driver. I think you know again playing it for comedy was quite good. Daniel Craig again trying, obviously trying to break away from Bond and then obviously then agreeing to play Bond again. But never mind. Um, trying to break away from Bond. We've got Riley Keogh here, who's an actress we talk a lot about, who again is superb. He's Lisa Marie Presley's daughter. I know this blew this blew my mind the other day. it's rocked my world. I had no idea. So we've we've got a great cast and the film is for the film is fun, but that's about it. I, it just didn't do much for me, to be honest. It,
1: yeah, there's. I mean, when Soderbergh is the director obviously responsible for Ocean's Eleven and that whole um, arc of sort of setting up the heist, showing something of the heist, maybe jumping in chronology a little bit and then showing how things were pulled off, yeah. right, the final sort of reveal... It's very much in that mould. I think at one point in the film they even referenced this and called mm. it uh, Oceans twenty four seven. Yeah. Which is uh <laughs> which is quite, quite funny. Seven yeah. eleven, yeah. uh, sorry, not 7 seven eleven. Seven eleven, I it's a lot funnier actually, yeah. than what I've said. Um yeah, and I agree with you, Paul. I think that the performances are sort of fine. There's one that isn't fine. Uh can we talk about Seth MacFarlane in this? Oh god. Seth, Seth MacFarlane has a sort of stunt cameo as a, an English NASCAR But why is he? Why would he driver? be in it? he's having I'm... a jolly good time and yeah. picking up a cheque, I think. yeah, I d- This podcast, as you are well aware, comes from the UK, and that accent is an absolute horror show. <laughs> but, um, you know, he had his fun. He was obviously yeah, enjoying himself. I think there's, it's surprising because there's sort of a lot to like about it, even though it doesn't really add up to too much right it's like an entertaining distraction and then it's over a bit like nascar right it goes round in a circle and then it finishes
0: yeah i just I just i think i probably liked it less than you it just it, i don't know i can't put my finger on what was wrong with it i think my problem was is that maybe, is literally your job yes that is literally my <laughs> job so i'm gonna try my problem with it was is even from the trailer the characters again despite being well acted i think i said when we when we did it for coming attractions a while ago i said this looks like Sub-Cohen This looks like To me Soderbergh trying to do The Coen brothers With these characters And for me It just felt like If the Coens had made this film It would have been fantastic And I just felt it. It's, I still feel like It's Soderbergh Trying Playing at Being the Coen brothers In this film For me at least And I know A lot of people Have come back, me, come back at me On that one And probably say I'm talking rubbish But that's how it felt for me Yeah
1: I mean There, there are elements of it as well That I think Sort of veer a little bit Close to being Slightly Um Uh Uh, less than complimentary about people from the south I should say um, maybe I mean Soderbergh himself is from Georgia so he's not a million miles away from home territory but you know like the comedy side brothers yeah the the, the comedy redneck side brothers who have a couple of funny lines but yeah are sort of a a punchline more than they are sort of fully realized characters uh Riley Keough you mentioned Riley Keough just goes from strength to strength like I think she's probably the standout in in this film for me I think um I, lo- I love Adam Driver I don't think this is his best performance I, I don't think he seems as, as comfortable as maybe he has been in in some other screenplays and so yeah you're left with I like a heist film man this yeah is a good heist because film. it's
0: because it's Soderbergh it's this, this is what I find frustrating is I can't just I can't just outrightly bash it because it's Soderbergh and Soderbergh is a very good filmmaker. But I just didn't, this isn't a very good film. It's a well-made film, but I don't think it's a very good film. But jump
1: back, Paul. I mean, how did you feel about side effects? Because that's when he bowed out, right? Side effects. To me, side effects, I I would sound how you sound talking about that film. I think it's okay.
0: I think it's... I probably said the same thing on side effects. Again, because it's Soderbergh, because it's fine, Mm. it's well enough made, and you go, but this could be better. Like, Soderbergh's a more talented director than what these last, those two films definitely are
1: yeah i mean it's interesting though on our you know semi-constant talking about like how important is the director as opposed to the screenplay and in this case they may be in fact the same person but there are so many sort of flourishes in this film where you think like this is really excellent filmmaking but i think you're right ultimately that the the sum of the parts is is maybe less than you would hope for but then yeah i mean jump back another one from side effects to haywire Again, I, I kind of shrugged at the end of that. Oh, I hated Hayward
0: oh god i forgot. Michael Fassbender and Gina yeah. Carano
1: in it I mean I was so sold yeah. <laughs> yeah. On, on that thing so I don't know man like maybe we've just held Steven Soderbergh in, in too high esteem and maybe he is a very accomplished filmmaker of reasonably decent films I mean
0: do you know what I'm going to do because I've got it there I picked, picked up both Shea parts 1 and 2 I think for about £4 total cost in, in CEX nice plug that I usually do there I'm going to watch those this week and for the next popcorn movies we're going to talk about Shea Cause i'm very intrigued to see that which is obviously uh, a passion project of steven Soderbergh. Because that'll be interesting it's, it's fair enough and yeah i
1: would go out on just recommending something actually rather not rather than logan lucky it's a good film but um i've got into recently the um tv series on amazon prime i know this is not uh, strangers in a tv screening room or whatever but um the girlfriend experience oh, this on is which, riley keogh's breakout yeah riley yeah. keogh's in this and is really good and it's Steven Soderbergh is an exec producer but then it's worth mentioning that episodes are directed um, in part or or on and off by Amy Simetz who works often with Shane Carruth um, the director of stuff like Upstream Colour and Primer and he also worked on the music on the series so it's a really interesting thing and the kind of thing that after the tepid um, Sasha Gray Soderbergh feature length film people maybe wouldn't bother with I would recommend it it's pretty good Good. So yeah, Logan Lucky's all right as well.
0: Yeah, I know, and that's the thing, but it's all right. It's only all right. And that's a bit of a shame for me. I was expecting I was expecting it to be great and it came out to be all right. Yeah. Um which brings us then to uh the final review of this bumper review episode. I'm feeling tired Pete to be honest after all jazzed My energy's we've got going one up. We we've, we've saved uh we've saved the uh the heartwarming crowd pleaser until last, which is uh Jeremy, is it Jeremy or Gary it's Jeremy with a G Jeremy Jasper Jeremy Jasper's patty cakes Pete set this one up for us
1: okay so if you've seen the trailer you will be well aware that this is sort of like eight mile with a large girl at the centre of it it is eight mile with a large
0: girl yeah I mean
1: (laughs) it is I'll I'll tell you in a minute one reason why it isn't but um, yeah if you've seen that film you know the territory we've got a character here who is living in relative poverty in um the United States, she wants to have a break, find a way into the community or onto the sort of a bigger stage with her hip hop and specifically her MC skills on the mic. At the beginning of the film, she basically has one collaborator who works in a uh, pharmacy who also has aspirations to being sort of a hip hop, DJ, um, beat maker. And um, they come together to try and make their dreams into a reality against considerable odds. Here's a clip.
2: And introducing the lady's choice, the voice that gets you moist. It's gonna be an Indian summer, y'all. Mr. Jerry Curls, aka Young Stable, aka Deepak Shakur, aka the Durag Da Vinci, aka Broad Dog Zillionaire, aka the Quiet Storm Boys and Girls. I'll give you my soulmate, my homie yo. It's Jeromeo! This isn't Showtime at the Apollo, okay? We have customers here. Play make believe on your lunch break.
0: Sorry, my bad. Last warning, Harish. So as you can probably tell from that clip, um, it is we mentioned Eight Mile before the uh, before you just heard the clip there. This film is definitely played for laughs, um, and for the most part, I thought it was very very funny. To be perfectly honest, I think. Uh, be I think honest, Paul. Don't was, lie to the people listening. I was being. I am being honest. I thought it was very funny. It made me laugh quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dramatic pause for a fair. well there was this you know yeah. you wanted honesty so, so I should dramatic pause I should
1: follow through on the promise to say <laughs> the, the the way in which this might diverge from um, 8 Mile and it's fairly um cosmetic i guess but the fact that the stakes i think are raised a little bit by the fact that when we saw um the rabbit character in eight mile we knew that he was going to blow up and become eminem like that is the story and it's already written and then you're just going to watch those battles until he gets to that point in this film obviously patty cakes is not a real person although the album i believe i know is available on spotify and stuff like that so check her check her stuff out but uh yeah so you have a bit more jeopardy like you have a yeah. sense that these people might fail probably not because we know the tropes of a sort of film like this is probably going to work out okay but might not um also a couple of like little details in it the guy they meet early on they go to a a show and it's i think nominally a hip-hop show but like different performers go up and have like yeah. an open mic setup and they they see this one act who comes on and does one track with an electric guitar and it's sort of like a noise track and his name is what like Satan the Antichrist or yes. something like that I, I don't yeah. know if that's, that's quite right but uh, that character is played really straight um, and sort of pared down by uh, the actor whose name I had up just a second ago me a second uh, Mamadou Afi is the, the actor here from I think the TV series of Get Down and also the terrible terrible film The Circle Um, But yeah, I I found that character really engaging, although sometimes it feels a little bit weirdly jarring with the overall feel because he's so sort of serious all of the time and shrouded in black and becomes an unlikely member of their crew. Um, I think we like hip hop to a degree, right? To a greater or lesser extent. So do you think that people who aren't coming in with any appreciation of that kind of
0: music would get anything out of the film? I think they, they probably would, to be fair, because I think, you know, it's, it's there's comments we made about, about the closing scenes where you go, actually, you know, the, the hip-hop element doesn't feel quite as important towards the end. Um, I think, yeah, I think anyone can take can take some, some fun out of this film. I think, for me, the first half was definitely, definitely stronger than the second half. I think the, the, the first half was great. Like, some of the rap stuff was, was good. I thought, actually, some of it's good, some of it's bad. You, you're a bigger hip-hop fan than, than I am, without a doubt. But even I could tell that some of the some of the rap here is is not the best. But it doesn't really matter because it's it is for the for a lot of it played for laughs. There are some more serious. There are some more sort of heart wrenching moments in it. Um, and the first half I think balances it quite well. The second half for me got a little bit generic. Um, and yeah, it, it so kind we, of fell way back into way back into the formula.
1: We should explain that there's this through line the relationship between Patty Cakes and her mother. Um, and her mother is a sort of failed artist in her own right who had one record back in the day singing kind of um i don't know spray hair like lots of hairspray and like power ballads yeah and so in an early scene that i loved she is in a really depressing local bar singing these dreams by heart and any film that (laughs) shoehorns in a a heart track has got my that
0: scene is great like the it's wonderful
1: but then of course you've got the mum almost trying to just like shit on the dreams of her daughter and tell her like the guy in creme brulee in um uh, League of Gentlemen it's yes. like <laughs> it's a shit business yeah. like that's the attitude she's got to the whole thing oh, it's yeah. like yeah if you, your dreams don't have dreams they won't work out like Dewey Cox's mum tells yeah. them or whatever <laughs> um, but yeah I think you're right Paul I think it's really enjoyable I think it's it's funny and I think that like if you're a hip hop fan as Paul was saying you'll appreciate that like the music is good enough to be sort of yeah. believable and entertaining and the tracks are like earworms a little bit they get into your head and, and stay with you um, and then you're sort of thankful that this isn't the character at the centre has sort of humanity and um, and a bit of depth and isn't Iggy Azalea for example because yes. this very easily could have been the story of the life of Iggy Azalea I, yes. I, would, I would suppose um, there are some moments where it touches on uh, cultural appropriation which I think is kind of soft peddled a little bit in the film which is
0: kind of Touched on in the film itself, isn't it? But then, well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, but
1: like, it would have been a difficult thing to really wrestle with in a film that's so sort of breezy and punchy and and kinetic. You know.
0: Yeah, I th- yeah, and I think you know, it's it's not perfect by any stretch. It's, it's got its faults, and as I said, the, the formulate the more formulate bits, especially the the ridiculous final scene, which I just think was completely unconvincing. Um, but I think there's there's such a sense of sort of as you say, like a light breeziness about it that you can forgive that. Yeah, um, I like I think- them.
1: I like them. I like Patty Cakes, and I like her her mate, and I think that's enough to like latch on and go along for the ride and. And yeah, it could have been certainly a lot more um, like Saccharin and, and Little Miss Sunshine esque, uh, but I think yeah. it skirts the right side of the line for for most of the time. And um, I came out of this like wanting to hear the tracks again and wanting to go home and listen oh no, to those. Think, yeah, so. yeah, there'll
0: be there'll be cer- certainly times when you're sitting around having a few beers and someone will throw on if someone will throw on the patty cake songs and everyone will start singing along. I think um, Daniel McDonald is the actress uh, I think according to what I can see in yeah. front of me who plays the um the who plays patty cakes herself. And I think she, yeah, she's great. And I think, yeah, it's 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 fun, a lot of fun. Is and, it though,
1: uh, Paul, as promised on the poster, an instant classic?
0: No, uh, <laughs> although I did come out and say two words, instant classic. No, because you can't have an instant classic. but well, that's whole That's a whole other podcast, I think. Um, and In, I th- instantly quite good
1: though. Instantly, instantly quite classic. good. Yeah,
0: a lot, a lot. Not not perfect, but a lot to like. Um, and I think that brings us to the end of today's bumper show. Um, thank you for listening, guys. Sorry, it's been a little bit off, uh, off of, off of the the usual format. We'll well, be I'm ba- not
1: stor- sorry. Fuck the system. Yeah, take that. We don't need a format. Yes.
0: Uh, well, we when we're back next week, we will have the usual format back to, to Pete's disappointment, I think. From, um, from looking at it. We'll face glue right. it back together. Yeah, we'll, we'll glue this. it back together and have some sense of structure. Uh, we'll be back next week with certainly a feature review of it and one other although i need to check what's coming out and we'll make a decision on that but certainly we'll have a review of it which i'm quite excited about um so that's about it for this week uh find us on instagram strangers in the cinema at strangers cinema on twitter um and it's goodbye from me paul we're doing it again even though said we wouldn't it's goodbye from me paul (laughs) and it should be called death notebook it's goodbye from me pete